Welcome to the Born Together podcast. I'm Techie Quay. I'm many things. The one I'm enjoying most is being mum to my daughter Ava. This podcast is about the common experience of motherhood. It is a contemporary archive of lives lived as mothers as well as being ourselves. I hope you may find connection and community in these shared stories. Thanks for coming on this journey with me and happy listening. Today I'm speaking with Charlie Lewis who shares the story of her first birth and postpartum experience along with a snapshot of what it's been like being pregnant for the second time during COVID. Charlie had a clear idea of the birth she wanted to try for and perhaps also how motherhood might be the first time round. After the birth of her daughter Etta however, Charlie found herself going through the motions but not able to connect. Charlie opens up about this experience and how she's looking to do things differently the second time round. I'm sure you'll enjoy today's episode and Charlie's story of motherhood. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for coming to join me here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Me too. For the listeners out there, I met you through Etty Betty Baby Signs. It was Ava and I's favourite class. So oh, that's lovely to hear. And you're a brilliant <laughs> signer as well. Uh, I'm trying to keep it up, but it's, oh, good. I'm, I'm say, have to be honest. I thought I'd be fluent by now, but there's still time. <laughs> it'll come, it'll come. It'll come. And would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your family? Please. Yes, of course. So my name's Charlie and I am mum to Etta, who is now, oh gosh, she's two and a half. I can't believe it. Yeah, she's two and a half. Uh, and uh, my husband is Bobby and we live in South East London. It's the place to be. It is, isn't it? I know, I wasted so many years in South West London. <laughs> move across, move across. We've got better parks, maybe not as many brunch places, but that's all right. <laughs> it's up and coming, up and coming, as they say. Yeah. This is it. And what was your life like before you became mum to Etta? So before being a mum, everything was completely different, actually. I, because my job, my career has completely changed since having Etta. So before Etta, I was working as a journalist at Good Morning Britain. So I'd always worked in journalism, whether in radio or in television. I would say people would probably always have described me as mumsy, although I wouldn't like to have admitted it. But I think I've <laughs> always been sort of quite mumsy maternal and I sort of like looking after people. So I think it was always on the cards that I would, you know, I would be having children. But I was really focused and really determined to be successful in in my career in journalism. And I was very sort of busy and didn't have much time for anything outside of work. I'm someone that becomes very beelined on things. I think I was really like that with, with the job I was doing. And how did you meet your partner, Bobby? So Bobby and I met when I was 19 and um, at uni. So I uh, went to uni and I swapped courses within a couple of days. And Bobby was the first person that I met uh, on my first day on this new course. And I don't know if you romanticise things over the years in your head. but I definitely do. I, definitely <laughs> yeah, I think do. I do as well. <laughs> because now when I think about walking into that lecture hall, just like everything's blurred out and I can just see Bobby's face when, when I walked in. And I remember being really drawn to him and sort of intrigued and he was very very different to the the boys that I the boys the men the boys that <laughs> I'd uh, that I'd grown up with and had gone to school with so I was really sort of fascinated by him 
but we fell into the friend zone. So I think I had a boyfriend at the time or he had a girlfriend, but we knew that we liked each other and we lived in a similar direction. So we always used to walk back after lectures together. So we you know, got to know each other really quite well. But we were friends all through uni and then we both we were at Leeds Uni and then we both got jobs in London at the same time. And so we said, oh, should we get a flat share together? Because, you know, we only know each other down there. It'd be nice to have a familiar face. So we moved down and got a two bed flat in London together and then lived together for a few years. And then the opportunity came up to buy a flat and neither of us were with anyone or sort of in a serious relationship at the time. So we said, oh, let's do it together. So we bought a flat together just as friends all the while he was seeing other people and I was seeing other people. And then sort of a year or so after that, we eventually had a drunken kiss one night and then it all sort of fell into place. But it was really, really bizarre for me because I'd been single for quite a long time. And sort of overnight, I went not only to having a boyfriend, but living with my boyfriend and owning a house <laughs> with my boyfriend. So after that, everything moved really quickly. Oh, my God. I've got like such a smile <laughs> on my face because that story is amazing. Oh, my God. I don't know too many people who brought a place with their partner before their partner. It is That's really so weird. <laughs> it is. So us moving in together was him making the big move from the bedroom next door to mine into into my bedroom. Oh, better book the removal truck for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Saved a bit of money. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys have a few years of just being together and enjoying your coupledom or did you sort of go straight into, I guess you're already in quite a serious situation. By that time, we'd already known each other, you know, nearly 10 years and we'd lived together for a really, really long time. And, you know, we'd done so much. We'd already kind of gone on the holidays together and festivals and all those sort of experiences that you'd like to do as a couple. So I think we sort of got married probably two years later and then thought we'd start trying for a baby but we thought it would take a while for for me to get pregnant because that'd been the experience of so many people that I know so we said oh that's sort of start loosely trying and it will probably take you know we don't know six months eight months even longer and then you're pregnant for nine months so you know we're looking years away when we'll actually have a baby and then I mean I got pregnant so quickly and so that was probably in sort of the beginning of the year and then Etta was due in December so going from thinking oh it'll be a few years till we actually have a baby it was we're gonna have a baby by the end of this year oh my goodness (laughs) so it all happened really quickly and were you still working in broadcasting or journalism at this point in time yes I was so I I was working at Good Morning Britain on the politics team there and I just found out that I was pregnant. I think I'd done the pregnancy test maybe the day or two before um, and a general election was announced. And I just remember thinking, oh, my goodness, I am not up for this. How so, am I going to make it through? <laughs> exactly. And I was already feeling tired. The morning sickness had already started. I'd done a pregnancy test because I'd been um, been being sick uh, and the, the sickness just got worse and worse and worse and work just ramped up about a million gears and it was really busy sort of early starts and late nights and traveling all over the place so it got yeah it was it was really bad timing and I had I was actually quite poorly pretty much my entire pregnancy with Etta I think I was just run down from working really hard not being able to keep any food down and the only thing that I could eat and keep down was crisps and crisps don't have much nutritional value. So I was going to say, I think it might be something potato related because that was my thing, potato and pancakes. And they'd have oh, was it? 
Yeah, anything starting with P, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why that was. No idea. Mine, mine was salt and vinegar crisps. Mm, anything I love them. Um, so I think because I was surviving on McCoy's crisps and, and nothing else, I got poorly. And so I got a bit of a cold and was off work and then probably went back to work too, too soon and got ill again and ended up with bronchitis and it just got worse and worse and worse and I ended up with pneumonia and was just really really poorly for that and was signed off work for um, I think I was probably signed off work for two or three months before Etta was born uh so I was yeah didn't didn't enjoy my pregnancy with Etta but I'm, I'm pregnant again now and just absolutely determined that everything's going to be different and thank goodness it's been a very different pregnancy and I've not even had the morning sickness well, there we go. That's good news for people who go through a hard one the first time round, but then it makes people who had an easy time round the first time maybe worry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You never know what you're going to get. And what know. I'm really fascinated by is that I don't know whether it's related to gender because they do say morning sickness is worse with, with girls. girls. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. think yeah. Like estrogen fights each other, doesn't it? Whereas Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, I think the testosterone in boys is meant to be more complementary, but we'll have to see. I don't know if you know. We'll find out. No, I'm, uh, we're not going to find out this time. Um, so we, we won't know until so I'm due in October. So then, then we'll know. So I'll be really surprised if it is a girl. If it is a girl, this one's definitely going to be much less high maintenance than Etta, I think, <laughs> because Etta was already causing me grief by this point of the pregnancy. Completely different person. Yeah. And then how did you go with your birth with Etta? Did that, I guess, two, three months is quite a long time to take off from work. And especially if you're really passionate about your job, that's probably a bit of time. Do you think you'd go back to your job at that point? Or did you start to sort of settle into motherhood when you were signed off? Well, I, I really loved my job and I really loved my career. But I think I always worried how I would juggle it with because it's quite you know with with a baby it's it's quite intense in terms of I felt as though I was always watching listening consuming the news that you had to be on top of everything that everybody said Uh, and I just wondered how I would make that work with wanting to sort of focus on um, my child as well and also the hours were always unpredictable and I'd done you know night shifts and all this sort of thing and I, I do remember thinking I would like something with a bit more flexibility and sort of stability of working hours if I could but I never wanted to do anything else other than journalism so I didn't have any idea what I could or should or would do and also I really loved I had an amazing team at Good Morning Britain and I missed being there when I was off for all those months so I did intend to to go back but like you say it was a weird period of not working and not having a baby and it it was hard being ill at home and I I definitely think I got quite low in those months in the run-up to Etta being born because you do feel a bit lost because you're sort of in between stages anyway and then not to be able to do anything normally it was a really confusing time. I think that's exactly what it is I think for some women it comes maybe post baby but it's that sort of limbo of oh where am I with everything I've known before. (laughs) Exactly that. And to to add to it, we moved during when I was pregnant as well. So we moved to a whole new area where I I didn't know anybody uh, and everything felt unfamiliar. So you just feel as though everything has been flipped upside down and, you know, you don't know what the next stage is going to be. But I I was really excited 
but like you say it's just being in limbo is a really good way of describing it and I'm in, I'm an impatient person so I was like I just want to meet this baby I just want to meet her I remember that feeling are you coming yeah. now it's... I'm ready <laughs> exactly it feels like a really long time doesn't it oh nine months is too long I do it think is six too long be enough. I think that extra three months is I don't understand for nothing <laughs> I, I'm sure someone told me that elephants are pregnant for like two years or yeah, something it's something oh, huge could you imagine just couldn't I couldn't <laughs> I never want to come back as an elephant <laughs> <laughs> no me neither <laughs> and then how did you go with the birth of Etta was it quite all the experience you'd anticipated do, do you do a lot of preparation in the lead up to your birth I, I had done, yes. Yeah. So I'm quite a studious person, sort of almost to the point of being obsessive. And I did hypnobirthing and I really, really committed to it and, you know, was just sort of fascinated by it all and had done sort of all the practicing and was really clear on the, the birth that I wanted. And I wanted a, you know, really calm water birth. And I know this is what lots of people want. And uh, I'm not alone in saying that my experience is very different to the one that I had planned I mean I, I know it's true for for lots and lots of people uh, but I think for your first it it comes as a real shock because you think you can plan these things and then you know you just learn that you, you're not really in always in control so I want I, like I said I've done hypnobirthing and I, I wanted an, an idea of what the birth was going to be like and then um, I went overdue I think I was about a week overdue and I went to the GP because I think I was having daily checkups at the GP once you go over your due date they check in with you more regularly and he was a bit worried about my blood pressure so he said can you just pop down to the hospital I'm a little bit concerned about it I just think you need monitoring for a couple of hours so I went down to my hospital which was St George's in Tooting and I think I was there for an hour or two and maybe every 15 minutes they came and took my blood pressure and were, rec- and were recording it and they said your, your blood pressure is too high and we're worried about it uh, we want you to speak to a consultant and then um, I spoke to a consultant and for anybody who is in medicine this might not be wholly medically accurate but the way I remember it is that my placenta had reached the end of its sort of useful life and wasn't giving Etta everything that she needed and therefore my heart was working overtime to pump things to Etta that she needed and that's why my blood pressure was so high and that's not good for me and that's not good for Etta so they recommended that I should be induced so they said go home tonight it was quite late already by this point go home and then come back tomorrow morning and yeah basically you come back in and you won't be leaving until you have a baby and I really didn't want to be induced but like I said I was really ready I was so ready to meet Etta and I was so fed up of being pregnant and obviously worried about the blood pressure thing so that was a really weird experience going to bed that night thinking it's all is going to happen tomorrow. I wouldn't have slept at all. <laughs> Do you know what? I had the best night's sleep. Really? Because I said exactly the same as I left the hospital. Yeah. I said, I'm so excited. I can't believe I'm, I'm just not going to sleep tonight. But thank goodness I had you know, the best night's sleep that I was ever going to have for a really, really long time. Well, isn't that exactly it? I think before I had Ava, I thought, you have the baby. And then for some strange reason, I thought then you're almost like, that's your job done. You get a holiday after or something where you'll get sleep. I was like, no, no, not for years. (laughs) Exactly, exactly that. You need it. So then I, um, we woke up and I was really excited to be going into hospital and we put everybody on high alert, you know, parents, the in-laws, brothers, sisters, everybody. 
you know, the baby's coming, the baby's coming, I'm being induced, it'll be here really, really soon. And 24 hours later, there was no sign of labour. So they induced me for a second time. And it was a bit rubbish being at the hospital, being induced, to be honest, because you're on um, a ward with lots of other people being induced. And all I could hear around me was everybody else going into labour. And I was just thinking, why is it working for everybody else? Like, what's going on with me? And I was just getting more and more frustrated. So I was induced for the second time and and nothing happened again for about, well, quite a few hours. Uh, And then in the middle of, I think, the second night that I was there, labour did start. And, oh gosh, do you know, it's it's funny thinking about it because I can sort of remember it really clearly and then not at all, all at the same time. I just remember it kind of hitting me full pelt it wasn't I thought there'd be kind of a gradual and I think this is what happens when you're induced it wasn't sort of a gradual build-up it was just suddenly oh my goodness I'm in labour and this hurts (laughs) and I think because it came as a shock to me and to my body I, I didn't have time to sort of implement that training that I had been doing in terms of hypnobirthing and and mindfulness and the breathing I progressed really really quickly and I remember a midwife saying to me you know you you doing incredibly this baby is going to be here by you know within the hour or you know whatever they said you know the baby's going to be here really soon Uh, and I couldn't have the water birth that I wanted because I'd been induced so I went through to the the labor ward and then I was in labor for a really long time and I just think I knew at a certain point uh you know this this isn't going to happen and even before it was mentioned by any of the doctors or nurses or anybody I knew in my head that it was going to be a cesarean and that was the only way that the baby was coming out and that is that is what ended up happening about 24 hours later um, I don't think they call it wasn't an emergency cesarean it was a what they call an unplanned cesarean so I was taken down for the cesarean and the thing that was really hard about that was that even more so than with I mean, obviously, it was really important to have Bobby there, but it was really important for me, for some reason, to have my mum there. And I'd imagined my mum being there. And it was something that was really going to be really special for us to do together and to have mum in the room as well. And then was told that you can't, you can only take one person with you when you go into theatre for a cesarean. And that came as a really big, unexpected shock. So having made that decision, this isn't what I want, but I need to have a cesarean. Okay, let's do it to then for them to say oh and you know your mum will have to stay here that was sort of another massive blow to the the labour and the birth that I'd wanted so I think that was the thing I found most upsetting about the whole experience and you don't really have a lot of time to come to terms with it either if you've been planning that throughout your whole pregnancy and you can envision that moment with you and your mum and your baby it's a hard thing to just all of a sudden it's gone and it's out of your control as well which I think particularly hurt it yeah it it, it is that and I mean that was really upsetting and I still sort of feel emotional about it now so I've been wheeled off and my mum just sat in that sort of dark room because it's in the middle of the night by this point and my mum just being exhausted and upset as well because it you know it's sort of traumatic for everybody involved when you know, it's, things haven't gone the way that, that you wanted. But I think what, what, what it was, was I'd had such a clear idea in my head of what I wanted. And when it didn't go to plan, I didn't sort of go with it. I didn't, you know, I, I should have just sort of thought, well, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, I'm going to have my amazing baby at the end of it. For some reason, the, the labour and the birth had become really, really important to me. And losing that was, um, I was, I was, I found it really, really difficult. 
I find it difficult, but I remember like when you said that it came on so quickly and you couldn't utilize the hypnobirthing, I remember that exact thing. I went into absolute animal panic, that real, oh my God, what's happening to my body? And I couldn't use them in time, but I still grieve over the birth that I had worked for. And I think if you, it's an experience you want to be able to have, and it's sort of hard because you get your healthy baby at the end, but then you missed out on this experience. It's but I think there is space to still feel sad about it, even when we do have healthy babies. Yeah, I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that, actually. And it's good. It, I think it's so good, unlike this podcast that you're doing, it's so important to hear other people's experiences. And when you hear other people have thought and felt the same as you, you think, oh, OK, well, maybe I'm not being self-indulgent. And actually, yes, that was important to me. And I'm allowed to feel that that was important to me. And like you say, grieve that it didn't happen the way that, that I had I had planned it. Because it's such a massive thing in your life um, when it all goes wrong. And we're so used to planning in our lives. You plan, plan, plan. And then it, the baby has other ideas, as they say. This is exactly it. <laughs> but it must have been amazing when you finally got to hold her after a long time. You'd been in labour for a long time. Yeah. So do you know what? I It, it was amazing. And Bobby sort of still talks about my reaction when I first saw Retta and what I said. And But I felt it didn't feel real to me at all. I don't know if that's because I planned everything in my head and it was different and so I couldn't quite come to terms with it. But the honest truth is, when they first lifted Etta up to show me, I just thought, that's not my baby. That's <laughs> that's that's not my baby. Like, who, who's that? And I think because you didn't, I didn't have, you know, you didn't feel it coming out and I wasn't pushing and it wasn't, I was just like, oh no, that's that's not that's not her. And they they whisked her straight off and Bobby went over with Etta not that there was anything wrong but they just to check her over and I'd asked for skin to skin straight away so the fact that they took us straight off I I panicked because I thought some but that was just I think a miscommunication in that it was in the end but that and I was worried that there was something that wasn't right and also because she had effectively got stuck in me and um oh I forgot to mention that I I'd been pushing so I don't I think I don't know what happened with my body but I got to a certain point where I got that feeling, you know, that you need to poo that they tell you about. And I I was like, oh, the baby's coming. And my body just started pushing. And the midwives were telling me, you need to stop pushing. And I was like, I physically can't. Like, And I I pushed and pushed. But my because my I wasn't dilated, I think I was basically pushing Etta's head against a hard surface, you know, like my hard cervix against a brick wall. And her head had swollen. So when they... When she was born, I mean, even the nurses and midwives I spoke to afterwards were really quite shocked by the degree of um, the swelling on her head. And I mean, the the cone shape was just unbelievable. And I think that came as a big shock to me as well, because I wasn't expecting that. So even though it was a lovely moment, and now I look back at it and I do think it's a lovely moment. I look at the photos, I think that was amazing meeting Etta at the time I felt completely detached completely just I just yeah I felt like it, it wasn't me and that wasn't my baby and it was a dream and I was going to wake up from it and I I think I was sort of stuck in that place for for a while afterwards as well and how long did you stop, have to stay in hospital then after having her uh, I was in hospital for two nights after having Yes, I was in hospital for for two nights and I was really lucky, actually, because I don't think lots of hospitals allow this, but Bobby was allowed to stay overnight with me. That's really good. 
which was really good. And I definitely really needed him because I was at that point of still not quite comprehending that Etta was mine and not feeling that rush of of love for Etta. Yeah, that sort of, you know, that kind of overwhelming feeling of love that I thought I'd get. And this is my baby and this is my daughter. And, you know, I'm now a mum. I was still feeling a bit confused and in a sort of slightly dreamlike state as well. And did that become clearer with time? Well, yeah, how, it took, how did it become clearer with time? Obviously, I know you now and you adore her. So, Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But I, it, it took longer than I expected. And I remember thinking, I think there's there's something wrong with me because I, I just don't feel connected to Etta. And I did everything for her. I mean, I was setting my alarm every 45 minutes through the night so that I could check that she was breathing. I mean, to look at me, I was, you know, I was doing everything right. I just didn't feel it I didn't feel or I probably did feel it but I couldn't sort of understand that I felt it or something I don't know because I did love protect her and do everything yeah um so I could I was sort of doing the stuff but just not really kind of understanding it I think and people kept saying oh you know she's such an amazing baby and I'd look at her and think oh no I don't think she is like she's not mine like that isn't this isn't what my baby is going to be like and I think it might have been a few months before I think I, I think I had a, definitely a form of postnatal depression and I, I should have gone to see a, a doctor about it and should have had some form of talking therapy because I think it would have helped me understand what was going on in my head but not to sort of make this a plug for my business in any way shape or form but it was honestly when I first started signing with Etta and she started reacting to me signing I suddenly felt that we connected and I don't know what it was. It was just the fact that I was doing something and she was responding. And I was, I just suddenly felt like, oh, no, this is a human being. This isn't just a baby. I'm doing something and I'm sort of seeing the the impact of what I do. I'm her mum and I'm making her happy with something that I'm doing. And that's why it became such an important thing to me, because it really was the way that Etta and I bonded Oh, Charlie, that's magic. Yeah, it was re- it was really really special. And if it hadn't been signing, then it, you know, I'm sure it would have been something else. It was just that that it would was have something been smiles, that... or it would have been exactly know, when you fall yeah. over and she loves. It, yeah, it was coming. It just all had to sort of fall into place, and that's the way that it it fell into to place with me, which is why I feel so passionately about it now. It's interesting because I have talked to a few of my own friends who had. Uh, c-sections or abdominal deliveries for different reasons but I think they described something quite similar actually where they were a bit numb for a yeah. little while it is a numbness it is a numbness and and, it, and it's true with any birth and labor you're still recovering physically for a really long time and you your body can't recover because you know you've got a, a baby to look after and you can't sleep like you need to sleep and you can't relax like you want to and also I was quite anxious about Etta's health as well and I'm I'm not sure why that was but I was always really worried that something was going to happen to her or that I don't know that that there was something that was going to happen and I wouldn't be able to cope Uh, and I, I think I spent a lot of energy worrying about that when I should have been focusing on the amazing things that you know Etta was doing I think that's exhausting as well, worrying about stuff that <laughs> might never happen. I think that sounds very much first time mum. I was the same. Yeah. I was so worried. Were you? Yeah, I was so worried that something terrible would happen to Ava and I wouldn't be able to keep going. 
Yes. And I've heard people say with their second babies, it's so different. So maybe with number two, you recognize that you don't need to worry as much and maybe it allows more room to just sort of sit back and watch them. So that could be a really nice thing you have coming in the post. (laughs) Yeah, well, I've, I've noticed that with the pregnancy already, actually. And I don't know if it's that I literally don't have the time to worry because Etta's at that stage where she's just so full on that I, I don't have the the sort of the headspace to, to worry about this pregnancy as much. And I, I had a few extra scans with Etta because I was always so worried that something was going to happen to her whilst I was pregnant. Uh, but I've not felt the need to do that at all this time round. And I'm just really, really determined that everything about this pregnancy and when the baby arrives, it's going to be so different. And I'm trying to do things differently as well, which is really silly because I know it makes no difference. But I think it's just a way of me trying to have some control over the situation. So, for example, we found out that Etta was a girl uh, and we're not going to find out the gender this time just because I want everything to be different. Uh, and we came up with a name, Etta's name, really, really early on. So she was always Etta. My bump was Etta once we knew she was a girl. And we're not gonna, I'm not going to do that this time because I don't want to have in my head... You know, I, I had so clearly in my head what Etta was going to be and what she was going to be like. And then every experience was totally different. And I found that really hard to comprehend. So this time I'm just I'm not going to do things the same way. And maybe the experiences will be different. Yeah, I have a lot of faith that they will just because you're a different person now and it's a different baby. And I think that sounds quite freeing, actually, to just sort of let it all go. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's always been my personality to sort of try and control situations and how I'm feeling and try and make everything perfect. You know, I wanted the perfect labour and I wanted the perfect pregnancy and the perfect birth. Whereas now I've been through what was utterly the opposite of that. So now I can think, you know, whatever happens, happens. But it is something that you have to sort of relive a bit when you're pregnant again, because I do have the option of having a, a planned cesarean this time round or doing a VBAC. So that's vaginal birth after cesarean. Uh, and I, I haven't made a decision on that at the moment. But it's just interesting, you know, how you have to weigh that up second second time round because my feelings are still the same as the first time round. But having had the cesarean experience, I know it's not as scary as I thought it was the first time round. I guess you're in a situation where you probably have a lot more information in some ways. You went through the process of labour and then you had a cesarean, whereas I guess a lot of people maybe have one or the other. So it's probably a good place to be in terms of making a choice for this next one. Yeah, I do. And I think there's something about becoming a mum, well, I've found anyway, that makes you feel sort of more empowered in your decisions and your choices and your ideas anyway. I'm definitely a much stronger person now than I was before I had Etta and I'm much more confident in my choices so I, I feel like having lived it and also being a mum that I you know I know I'll make the right decision even though I haven't quite got there yet. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what it is yet. <laughs> exactly yeah. And yeah. then was it sort of a build-up of those magical moments with Etta that opened up the idea that of Etty Betty or I know your sister Amelia she was born right. deaf and so it's always been in your life I guess it's a culmination of lots of different things that ended up moving you onto a completely different path yeah exactly so yes that's right my younger sister Amelia uh, was born profoundly deaf so she has a genetic condition she has something called Pendred syndrome Uh, and I think this is why I was a little bit anxious about 
Etta and her health is that when my my sister was born deaf, um, I I remember, you know, that that was a really hard time for my parents because they knew nothing about deafness. And knowing what we know now, we would have had no need to worry. But when your child is diagnosed with something and you don't know anything about it, that's really scary. And you don't know, we didn't know if Amelia would ever develop language and how she'd cope with that. And then it was learning sign language. And that's really, really overwhelming. And it was also totally bizarre that my mum and dad both carried this gene for Pendred syndrome and had absolutely no idea that they both had this gene. And then it's got a one in four chance of coming out in your children, which is why it didn't in me, but it did in Amelia. So I think having experienced that and grown up with that that was that was in my head but bizarrely at the same time I wasn't scared of it because I thought I've lived it and I've seen you know how incredible my sister is and everything that she's achieved and sign language and the deaf community and deaf culture is something that is you know I'm so fascinated and in love with that I don't know how I know I was ever worried about anything health health related with Etta because I know even if it seems bleak at the beginning it's you know it's it's all absolutely fine and how I got onto that sorry I've <laughs> gone way off topic haven't no I? not at all I think it's a really <laughs> nice thing to understand and I think how your past links in with your motherhood and your pregnancy and birth is also important to understand too um, yes but I was asking about how you came to set up Etty Betty oh yes sorry <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's entirely related <laughs> Uh, yeah, so for, for that reason, with Amelia being deaf, so sign language had always been a, a part of my life and my family's life. And when I was pregnant, I looked into how to teach babies to sign because it's really important to me that Etta grows up with, uh, you know, understanding about deafness and being able to sign with my sister and with our deaf friends. And it was then that I came across baby sign language and I'd never heard of it before. I didn't know that baby sign language was a thing and that sign language could be used for babies that that weren't deaf and didn't have additional needs, but just as a way of communicating with them before they can talk. And the honest truth was, I was really sceptical. I was like, well, I've never heard of this. I've never seen a baby signing. Can, babies can't sign. Surely they can't really sign. But like I said, in those early days, I really wasn't myself. I was struggling to get out of the house. I was in a new area, so I didn't know anybody. And I wasn't going to classes like I had intended to. So I thought, well, I really love signing. I'm just going to give it a go with Etta and see how she responds. And obviously her first responses were just incredible, just amazing. And I really felt like I connected with her. She just loved watching my hands moving around and obviously enjoyed the singing aspect of it as well. So the, the more and more we did it, the more I could see that she was getting from it and also that I was getting from it too. And then when she did her first sign back to me at six months, I I honestly, it just, it blew my mind. Because I thought this is, and I thought everybody should be doing this. Etta's just been able to tell me that she needs milk without crying, without getting stressed. It hasn't made either of us upset or frustrated. And it really felt like I'd been given a, you know, a kind of a, a secret key or a secret language into understanding a basic need of Etta's that I wouldn't have had without a little bit of stress and tension. I thought everybody should be doing this, but I couldn't really find much online for for teaching and sort of teaching baby signs so that people could could learn it at home if they weren't able to get out like like I was feeling. So I set up an Instagram account and we just put up really quick videos of signs that um, I I was finding useful with Etta. 
and then someone oh no it was my one of my friends which I'd met through I signed up to this app and it's sort of basically it's, I think it's described as tinder for mums it's called mush it's either mush or peanut I think and um so she lived locally and she said oh I've got my antenatal group we all want to do baby sign would you come and teach us a few signs so yeah of course so we in her back garden I did a little class probably about 20 minutes, half an hour of a couple of songs I've been doing with Etta. And they said, oh, we, you know, we really love that. Would, would you do more? Would you do a course? I was like, mm, okay, yeah. So I carried on doing a few courses here and there. And then someone else contacted me on Instagram and said, oh, I see you're doing classes now. Would you do a class for my NCT group? And it just kind of went from there that more and more people were asking for the classes. And then before I knew it, I had, I think, four regular classes in different parts of southeast london that i was doing every week and Etta was probably about six months old at this point and it was just sort of growing and growing and then it got to that stage where i had to let work know if i was going to go back or not and i was enjoying baby signs so much and getting so much from it that um and i thought well if i, I go back to work i'm going to lose this momentum with etty betty so let's let's give it a go so i let work know that i wasn't going to go back and added some more classes and it's just sort of grown from there really that's amazing it's great how I know that secret community of mums as I like to say it's there in so many different forms and I guess without them we wouldn't be where we are now no it really is it really is amazing and I embarrassed to say that when I was pregnant I remember thinking oh my god it's gonna be so cringe be like being part of that mum club like that's really you know I, I don't think that I'm gonna fit in at all but oh my goodness I've just never found a more kind of supportive network to be in I really can't believe it how much you know people want to succeed and there's no sort of pretense I find with mums like there's I I've never been one that's great for making friends to be honest with you but since having Etta I've just I've just never struggled for making friendships and making really strong connections in a way that I, I never ever did before that you know they really are out to because I think sometimes in the media mums can be portrayed as really bitchy yes and absolutely and that's what I was accepting yeah you know that and I don't know whether that's just you know for dramatic purposes in <laughs> on, on television or you know whether there are areas that are like that or that gets worse when you're at school you know those kind of cliquey gangs and and that sort of thing or I I don't know but that just really that's what I was expecting and my experiences have been so different to that um and I'm so so grateful for it so I like I said with you know the birth that didn't all go the way that I expected but then there have been other things that haven't gone the way that I expected that have been wonderful I thought it was going to be like going back into high school me too and I hated school I enjoy I went to an all-girls school and I was like oh my god mother groups are going to be exactly like it all over again and I think that's what's really inspired me to do this podcast is the awesome surprise of women being mothers and how we can support each other absolutely absolutely and I I just didn't I mean I I I hated school and I've, I've never I've always had a really kind of small group of, of friends because I've never been good at 
sort of meeting like making new friends but just this yeah I mean this this network and the way people that I don't even know very well you know want to help me out with Etty Betty and you know the way that I you know see people starting new careers after having a baby and I think you know I know how scary that is and in turn I want to help as well and I really love being part of that. Yeah, well, thank you for coming and sharing your story with me because you're helping to facilitate my new growth. <laughs> well, it's exciting. It's, it's brilliant. And I've listened to some of the other interviews and it's, it's like I was saying earlier, it's, it's things like this that are so important that women keep talking and hear about other people's experiences. And it's not just the, the listening, but it's actually doing this myself, talking about it. It's it really helps, doesn't it, to sort of work it all out in your brain? Because sometimes you can surprise yourself with what you say. Absolutely. Too, I'm hoping maybe at the moment for people who are stuck indoors and can't get out to access the community like they would have hoped to, it can be a bit of a refuge for them as well. Absolutely. I hadn't thought about that, actually, people not being able to make their antenatal classes and, you know, forming those friendships so to be able to hear people talking honestly about you know what their experiences and i think it's it's a fine line between scaring people yes. <laughs> because obviously a lot of what i've said about my birth is isn't positive and you don't want to scare people into that but just it's also letting them know that when those things do happen it it's not terrible and that you do come out the other side and that you've got every reason to be positive and every reason to have the birth that you want but if it if it doesn't then to be prepared for that so I, I don't think I prepared myself enough for things not going how I expected and that if I could go back and change anything it would be that because I think I'd close things out like no I don't want to hear your negativity that's not gonna help me in my birth whereas actually knowing a little bit more about those experiences might have given me a more realistic view of what could happen. I think it is a fine balance, as you said, and being pregnant at the moment with the COVID situation and your second pregnancy, it sounds like it's still a very positive experience. So no one could have imagined we'd be in this situation, but you're still able to find ways to enjoy the process of becoming mum number two. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, with Etta, I would have been probably really really worried because of everything that was was going that was going on just because of the state of mind that I was in and now being thrown in sort of the worst you know one of the worst situations with that and and just knowing that everything is going to be okay I think is an important process for me and things are different when you go into the hospitals but you know it's just a way of keeping everybody safe so it's it's not to kind of be scared of those the only thing that has been a shame is that Bobby hasn't been able to come to the scans with me but I mean, women had that for years. It's like years and years anyway, didn't they? Because I don't think men were allowed to come to the scans or years and years us. ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, yeah, it's quite a new thing that men are in the delivery rooms or at home or the theatres with us. Yeah. So I think it's just your expectations because I was saying, oh, God, I'm you know, so upset Bobby can't come. And mum was like, well, no, lots of women have gone through that. And, you know, it's it's fine. And I was like, OK, no, yeah, you're right. That that it is fine. And it was fine. And it's a shame that he he can't be there at the moment. But, you know, he'll meet he'll meet the baby soon. And he sees the pictures and I take videos when I've been in for scans. So it's uh, it's still a really lovely experience for us. And he can feel the baby kick. And, you know, there's other ways of of making it work. 
And I think we were talking about it before we came on air, but we were saying how in the moment it seems so big, but then later on you forget about it and you move on because there's something new and surprising and life just continues on. So I imagine it's more of it's having exactly. the long isn't it? Yeah, that, it is exactly that. Because like you say, there are lots of things about being pregnant with Etta that I thought were really important that I would obviously remember forever. And now, I mean, even talking to you about the labour, there's things I'm like, oh, did that happen? Oh, I'm not sure. And you, you do forget things and other things become more important. So I'm sure further down the line, I won't remember that Bobby wasn't at the scans because, you know, he'll be there for the baby when the baby's here. And that's the most important thing. He'll be changing the nappies. <laughs> he will be all running around after Etta. Or yeah. both. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, um, how are people going to find you? I know on Instagram you've been doing baby sign on Mondays. I don't know how long you'll keep doing that, but people can find you on Instagram is going to be the best place. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, on Instagram, so I'm at Etty Betty Baby or on YouTube. If you search Etty Betty Baby Signs, then lots of my videos will come up if anybody wants to learn some signs and do some signs, songs and stories with their babies. I mean, I'm going to keep going for as long as as long as I can. I think uh, my sort of physical classes are going to be on hold for a while uh, until the, the baby's here and is a bit older and I can get back to doing classes again. But I'm going to keep going online for as long as I can because it's it's sort of keeping me going as well, you know, having thinking, oh, no, I've got to get up and, you know, do sign today. It really, it gives me something to to focus on in this sort of weird situation that we have all found ourselves in. So I'll, I'll definitely keep going with the lives because I enjoy it. Gives you a reason really to get dressed in the morning. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, I mean, I have to say I'm in my pyjamas now. Me too. Me too. <laughs> you are good. Oh, good. I did think that just before I spoke to you. I thought, oh, I'm glad it's not on video today. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, I think it helps me to know that, I've, yeah, I've got to get dressed and got to, because I do feel like I connect with people, you know, like you do with podcasts and like you do with vlogs. It's even though you're not able to physically be with people, thank goodness we've got all of these ways of staying in touch and, and making connections still. Absolutely. And I definitely advertise that people should check you out because I found your classes really rewarding for myself because I was learning something new and Ava of course was mesmerized by bubbles and the movement yeah. but I actually really enjoyed it I was going through like the alphabet this morning being like how much can I remember and I was like oh brilliant so. oh good you know I, that, I think that is a really important part of it and I mean they are baby classes but I think parents really enjoy sort of using their brain in that way and sort of being challenged to because I throw lots of signs at people every week so I, I think it's nice that there's something for them the parents there as, as much as the baby as well and lots of people have gone on like you say you've you've seen today how much you can remember some people go on and do um, British Sign Language courses or recommend it when they go back to work that their work has some training in sign language so it's a really good way of sparking a bit of interest in in sign language even if it is just baby sign it's a a way of opening up yeah opening your eyes to how amazing sign language is in general that's exactly it well thank you for opening up a whole new community and for sharing your story I didn't actually know lots of bits about your life as a mum and before so it's been a nice surprise talking to you oh thank you it's been really lovely and I really am grateful for the opportunity and sort of helping me 
sort things out in my head a bit as well before my my next birth and whatever form that takes yes we'll we'll follow you and we'll stay in touch (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much bye charlie bye-bye I hope you enjoyed this episode. Come connect with me on Instagram with the handle born underscore underscore together. I'd love to hear from you. And please do share, subscribe and rate the podcast to help it get out to a wider audience. I'd love if you could. Until next week. Bye.